You're listening to 66.6 FM, Radio TOVH, The Flush. Hey there, everybody. It's me, Joe Thrash and Kill. You're listening to another very spooky edition of The Told of Hell Radio Show. I am not joined by 365 Days of Horror today, because every day is a day of horror here uh, at the end of the world. No, instead, I'm uh, I'm joined by Forrest of Ads. Forrest, how you doing? I'm doing great. Are you? It's it's tomorrow here. It's Thursday. Oh, yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, I, the future, since, future looks bright. That's good. Uh, I was kind of worried about that. Uh, so the last <laughs> time uh, we had talked to you on this program, uh, Returning Champs, by the way, uh, yeah. you were... In America, but now now you are not in America. I am no longer in America. I am in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Um, I live on Te Waipunamu, which is the South Island. Um, it's a pretty a pretty interesting place, pretty cool place, um, and uh, a lot smaller uh, of a town than Seattle for sure. Um, <laughs> where I live is is probably. 25,000 people total. So it's a, it's a big, a bit, a little bit of a culture shift, um, but not, not tremendously. So, uh, so what's the scene like, you know, do you have, uh, you know, rival like slam bands or anything like that? I think there are slam bands here. Actually, isn't organectomy from New Zealand? Shit. I think Uh, (laughs) (laughs) there are, uh, 5 million people in this country total. And I think in terms of band quality, it probably has some of the the best bands I've heard, like um, Ulcerate, is fucking amazing. Okay, yeah, I know Ulcerate. Uh, yeah, um, Blindfolded and Led to the Wool uh, to the Woods uh, out of Christchurch is really really good. Um, another sort of tech death band, um, but there's yeah, it's not a huge scene, and getting bands out here is very limited. Like uh, it, you know, costs a million dollars to fly to Australia, New Zealand yeah. from the States or from Europe. So there's some, there's some cool tours like Thou is coming in um, March. I'm stoked to see. Um, I just saw Napalm Death with Wormrot and they were fucking amazing. Um, but uh, yeah, you have to drive to either Auckland, uh, Wellington or Christchurch to catch any, um, any touring bands in the, in the metal scene anyway. Um, so, you know, it's, it's like, if I'm going to, um, if I'm going to make the, if a band is going to make the investment to come out here, I'm going to make the investment to, to drive two hours and spend a hundred dollars on tickets, basically. Sure. Uh, yeah, no, that's something I I think about a lot. Like, uh, it's sure you can kind of have a band in a place that's a little bit uh, remote, uh, from everywhere else, but uh, trying to make something of that, uh, it makes it much more difficult. Like touring anywhere else, having somebody playing on bills with people actually coming to you as well, it just seems like such a challenge there. Uh, and then it's yeah. like, uh, man, it's all of this for no money. <laughs> <laughs> that's the that's the kicker, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, it's yeah. I, I think. I mean, and, and if you look at the ticket prices, um, uh, they're high, and I think it's because you know otherwise it's just unaffordable to get people out here. Yeah. Um, you know, you've got to charge charge a bunch of money, and uh, 
Um, and I'm grateful, you know, it's, it's sweet that, that Napalm Death toured out here and Warm Rot toured out here. It's really great to see those bands. And I think it was the first time they'd come to the South Island, at least for Napalm Death. But they've been touring for 40 years and they've never made it down to Christchurch. Jeez. Um, yeah. Well, just uh, like, I don't know, I out of curiosity a year or two ago, I recall, you know, kind of looking up a price calculator. Of course, that was before the latest round of like in severe inflation, like how much it would cost uh, to live in, say, New Zealand, uh, like, you know, the costs of everyday goods compared to what they are, you know, if you are in the U.S. And it seems like, yeah, a lot of these things, not just concert tickets, things are just more expensive in general. You know, it, especially if you live in Auckland um, or Wellington, or I think Christchurch less so, but those two cities are really expensive. Like housing is super expensive. Uh, again, I live, in, I live in a town called Timaru. It's two hours outside of Christchurch. It's really small. And the uh, housing prices are very low by comparison to rents in, in like Seattle or Austin or uh, San Diego or any place like that. So, so, you know, if you're out of the big city centers, you're, you're doing better. Food is expensive uh, <laughs> as you can imagine. Yeah. You can't get, um, you know, you can't get the same um, sort of selection of stuff year round that you would get in the States. Like there's just, it's more limited. Um, and, and it's funny too, because um, I'm used to, four lane, six lane, eight lane highways, right? Yeah. The the highway on the South Island, highway one is a two lane road. Wow. It's basically, it's just, it's a two lane road. Um, if you're stuck behind some guys, you're gonna have to wait for, <laughs> you know, uh, 10 kilometers before you get to pass them or whatever, so. <laughs> and then you gotta figure just, out what a kilometer is too. It's, yeah, exactly. uh, it's so difficult. <laughs> Uh, well, what do you think? Uh, you know, how, how long have you been out there now uh, since leaving the U.S.? We've been here um, just over two years. Okay. Um, yeah, I, you know, I love it. I think it's 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 really cool to, um, you know, I have a couple of kids there. Uh, I have twins who are uh, just turned nine. And um, it's really cool to be able to just let them walk up to their friend's house, walk downtown, walk to school, that sort of thing without you know, people being weird about kids being out on their own. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's pretty rad. Um, it's it's a place where society seems to function. It's a little bit more, you know, I, I kind of equate it to that feeling of the U.S. in like the 80s where you probably had, like now people are pretty atomized. They're in their houses, they're on social media, they're going insane by themselves. Mm -hmm. And, you know, before the advent of social media, you had people that actually, you know, would, would make friends with their neighbors or they would, you know, have barbecues or whatever and, and be a lot more. It, there's a real social sort of feeling here. Um, but there's also this um, uh, there's there's a really strong sort of cultural connection to Maori culture, um, which is refreshing when you come from the United States where everything Native American has been sort of quashed and squashed and, and sort of forgotten or, you know, uh, driven out of memory. Yeah. So um, intentionally so, so intentionally so absolutely. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's absolutely a lot of people here who intentionally, and, and there's a, a long history in New Zealand of intentionally, you know, criminalizing this, the speaking of Te Reo Maori, um, for example. Um, but there's also a really strong pushback and there's a really strong, um, desire to, you know, recognize 
the the culture and the people that were here and also to sort of synthesize that into society so you know you've got um you've you've got place names that are colonist place names that have been removed for example they used to call taranaki which is one of the mountains on the north island they used to call it mount egmont which is some bullshit that is and, a uh, terrible name for a mountain yeah <laughs> taranaki is a beautiful name yeah you know it's it's really it's it's cool and i like to see that and there's ways for pakeha like i mean that's sort of the the phrase that you use for the English descendants. Um, Pakeha is the the term of use. But uh, as an immigrant, you know, there's ways for me to engage and 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 learn about it. And um, uh, I could even start taking classes when I get some time um, in Tereo. And it's really nice to. It, I like that. I think it's really valuable, and I think it's really special. I mean. It seems uh, fairly idyllic, uh, knowing what little I know uh, about the place. Uh, I know that it's beautiful. I know that occasionally you might run into a hobbit, uh, <laughs> but that's you know that's the kind of the extent of it. Uh, but yeah. uh, you know, thanks to like just uh, chatting with you online, I learned that eh, if I really want to push the matter, I might be able to move there myself. <laughs> you potentially could. Yeah, I mean, one of the. Yeah, one of the neoliberal aspects of it is they really strongly limit immigration, um, and immigration is sort of tailored to do they have a need for you economically? You know, are are there is there a job that they can't get people to fill? And so, medicine is one of those areas um, where you can get a work visa to come over here, and then you can get permanent residence. Um, and that's sort of how we. You know, that's sort of how we got here. I wouldn't have been able to come here by myself, but my wife had a job opportunity that um, we decided we wanted to take. Um, so, yeah, you know, it's a little bit of a double-edged sword. It kind of sucks that they they do the thing that Americans do where they bring in agricultural labor um, from overseas, um, poorer countries, and then they send them back when the, the season's over. So it's a little like how um, United States food prices are predicated on uh, undocumented labor. Yeah, um, absolutely. Well, <laughs> I live in Texas, man. Most things are predicated on undocumented labor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's it's pretty cool. It's also got its problems. It's got its flaws like every country. For sure. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, just in the process of learning about, uh, you know, the, as you, as you termed it, like the neoliberalism of like importing uh, medical workers or some kind of specialized knowledge-based workers. Like I learned that shit, there's actually a ton of countries that do that. <laughs> For example, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. Ireland, uh, they, they love, uh, they love having, uh, American educated healthcare workers as well. So interesting. Uh, I'm just trying to hedge my bets here for when this shit finally kicks off and I need to go somewhere. <laughs> uh, it is, as we mentioned, the October spectacular, uh, You've done this show with us before, specifically in terms of the October Spooktacular. What, what movie was that that we watched with you? We watched uh, May the Devil Take You. Um, is that That's Timo Tajanto, I think, that's out of uh, Indonesia? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Mean movie. A very mean movie. Very enjoyable. Uh, really, yeah. uh, really highly enjoyable for me. Um, the last couple of episodes that we've done for this, uh, this series, I got to tell you, they... I, I liked doing the episodes. I liked uh, meeting with the guests that we had. I think that they're okay episodes, but I will tell you that I had a, an itch that was not being scratch. Uh, we started things off uh, with uh, a horror comedy from the 80s, uh, you know, heavy metal horror comedy, whatever. There's, That's fine. Then there was the one that we did last week, which was a 
horror comedy drama, which I think miss in all all directions with that one. <laughs> so like what I really wanted was something just mean and nasty and actually scary. And and your suggestion on this one, I think I think it, we got it all in spades here. Uh, I, I uh, waited uh, for my wife to come home from work so we could watch this one together. And she was like, again, this is a woman who watches horror movies probably every single day. They're always in the background. She's like, oh, my God, this is this is terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. I love it. Uh, what movie is it? So the movie is Aterrados or Terrified. Uh, it's out of Argentina. Um, 2017 film by Demian Rugna. And I, yeah, the first time I watched this, I was like, you know, the cover art kind of grabbed me. It looked interesting. And as soon as, uh, as soon as the scenes with Walter started, I was like, oh shit, this is next level. <laughs> and and it's cool because Rugna has another film coming out at the end of the month. I think it's going to be on Shutter called When Evil Lurks. So, and it yes, promises to be even more insane. I think. <laughs> yesterday, when I was watching uh, this movie, my friend texted me to see to say that he had seen uh, When Evil Lurks at a festival uh, a couple of days ago. Uh, he had no idea that I was watching this movie. I had no idea that the same director had done When Evil Lurks. Uh, and he was praising this thing. Uh, the, the, the word he used to describe it was wet. <laughs> so, uh, Excellent. So we have that to look forward to uh, very okay. soon. Um, yeah, I, I, I can't wait to watch that. Uh, I, I just need, uh, I think, a minute to, to heal because Terrified is fucking wild. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just it keeps upping the ante, which is beautiful. I think that that's that's the, the mark of a true horror movie is when you think you're somewhere and then something nastier happens and yes. they keep doing it so that it never like loses the intensity. The, the, I think the, the biggest failing horror movies can have is like the intro is creepy. The middle part gets really gross and then the ending is a big letdown. Uh, and this one does not do that. No, it does. And <clears throat> I, I will say that I think one of my my biggest problems with horror in ge- as a genre in general is when a movie tries to explain itself. Mm-hmm. I, I think that one of the most uh, horrifying things that that can possibly be is something that is unexplainable, and therefore, like, why try? Like (laughs) it's, it's beyond, uh, the mortal realms of knowledge, which is why like, you know, Lovecraft, uh, is, is such like an endearing thing. It's like, you would, you would be insane if you could even comprehend a part of it. It's you, you don't get it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the uh, vampire movies and zombie movies seem to have had the worst of this where it's like, well, let's explain what's causing people to turn into a zombie. I don't don't want to fucking know. (laughs) Yeah. Don't tell me that. I don't care if it's a disease. Like I don't, I don't want to know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, fortunately, what we have here is with Aterados, an attempt to explain, and then all of that shit doesn't matter. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, how, so, you found this one just, uh, was it on Shutter digging around there? Yeah. I think that, yeah, it was It was on Shutter, and I was just looking around, and um, I don't think anybody recommended it to me when I watched it the first time. I think I just tried it out. Well, uh, and I was very pleasantly surprised. Yeah, because this this seems to have uh, kind of had a slow roiling effect uh, in that you know in the years since it came out, this was uh, 2017 that it was released. 
Um, it, it got a lot of attention for uh, for the director, Damien Rugna. It also got a lot of attention for the country of Argentina for filmmaking there as well, because uh, this, this movie itself was released uh, in collaboration with their, I think, Institute of Film. Mm. Um, and, you know... Uh, this got attention from a couple of famous people as well, including uh, Big uh, Willermo del Toro. Uh, oh, okay, who, yeah. Uh, who said uh, a couple of years ago that he was planning on doing a uh, Western remake of this. Ah, shit. <laughs> I mean, I love, I love Guillermo. I think he's fantastic. I think that he should make new movies, not remake. Uh, well, you know, I'm, maybe it'll be awesome. Uh, it it but, could be, but, but... The original is awesome. <laughs> it, it is. <laughs> So uh, I think that, you know, we should probably uh, get this out of the way. If you're opposed to reading a movie, you might be shit out of luck on this one. You should probably learn how to read, though. That's my recommendation. <laughs> yes, yes. If you don't like subtitles, give it a shot. Just go for it. And, I, you know, honestly, it was it was one of those things where I was watching it and I'm like, I can actually I have I have the California experience of having high school Spanish. Mm -hmm. Not very good. You know, I, I'm not a very good speaker, but I could actually pretty well understand it just using my high school Spanish, which was actually kind of nice to be able to be like, oh, yeah, no, that's that's exactly what they're saying. Well, I will tell you that uh, I had a much easier time understanding the Spanish when it was uh, coming out of the mouth of one particular character. Uh, <laughs> Rosentok. Rosentok, who is in the film an American and as such, his Spanish is not that great. <laughs> So, yes. Uh, for exactly. me, somebody who is still very much in a state of learning Spanish, if you talk slower, uh, mm -hmm. it, it helps me a lot. So Rosen with a painful American accent. <laughs> exactly. I get that pretty good. I can understand all that. Uh, everything yep. else, like ah, oh, you got to slow it down. I'm an idiot. <laughs> um, so, <clears throat> where should we start with this one, Forrest? You know, I mean, I think. I mean, we can start at the beginning. The The opening scene to me was, it sets the stage, but it doesn't really grab you until you get to Walter, in my opinion. Um, you know, it opens with uh, a, a lovely young lady standing in her kitchen listening to her sink. Mm -hmm. um, and I did I did find that the, the camera work actually did provide a fair amount of, of tension because there was a shot of her looking in the drain from the drain, which I thought was really, really clever. Uh, so the camera's aimed up through the drain hole yeah. to her, like looking down at it. <laughs> and I, I just have this um, ingrained response after seeing one of the very uh, lesser um, Amityville uh, horror movies in which oh. uh, <laughs> it was the one with the... Uh, the lamp from the original house. So somebody buys it at a yard sale and it starts haunting a new house. Cause it was the Amityville lamp or whatever. Oh, There's man. a bit where the guy is uh, like working on a garbage disposal and he puts a piece of electrical tape on the, uh, on the, the switch to start switch. it, but it's still, yeah. you know, the lamp starts pulsating evil. So it, as he's got his hand in there, you know, the switch flips anyway. So <laughs> I, I just, and I saw that when I was like seven years old. So oh, every, every horror movie that's involving a sink, even one that clearly doesn't have a garbage disposal, I'm like, mm, that hand's going down that sink. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, I mean, and it, it starts out by, um, by giving you 
her, her she's getting creeped out by voices that they don't actually there i don't think there were any voices that i could hear but she's hearing something from her sink yeah i, I her, cranked uh, the volume on my tv trying to hear if i could hear the voices she was describing but i could not hear it i could just hear like no. the knocking around in the pipes yeah yeah but you get the sense that that she's unsettled and her husband comforts her and they are complaining about their neighbor uh, who's been thumping away on the walls. Yeah, he's um, been uh, remodeling. Um, there, there is one thing that the husband says there at the beginning that I had kind of forgotten about until I was really trying to concentrate on the movie uh, today after have watched, having watched it last night. And it just it's never addressed again. And it is so deeply fucked. <laughs> he, he's saying to his wife... Uh, that dog that we hit that we ran oh, over. Oh, yes. That dog yes. that we hit that we ran over with our car. He's not dead like we thought. Uh, it's a, like he's he was moving around. It's a good thing we didn't bury him. Uh, oh, shit. That's some foreshadowing that I didn't even think about. And it, well, it, it, it's just this one little throwaway line at the beginning. It's never mentioned again. I mean, he, he specifically just compares the dog to Highlander. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> huh yeah no that's 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 very clever actually and it you know it sort of speaks to how well i think the movie's written because all of it sort of flows and the way that it's edited i think actually flows really nicely um that really that really captured my attention as well so so our our intrepid couple uh they order in they have their dinner and they they go to bed in the next scene um they wake up at five in the morning to hear walter banging on the walls again yeah, uh, it's, you know, uh, Clara uh, is disappears and uh, her her man, I believe it's Juan, he, he goes around um, banging on the walls, uh, you know, yelling at Walter, hey, like, knock it off, it's too early for this shit. He goes outside in his underwear, starts ringing the doorbell for Walter's place, like, Walter, you dickhead, please, you've been doing this every night, I'm trying to sleep over here, quit quit working on this stuff it's way too early for it but there's no answer from walter um instead juan goes back inside where he the banging does not stop what happens next for us (laughs) he's uh standing in the room he realizes the thumping's not coming through the bedroom wall but coming from the bathroom where clara has gone to take a shower and yeah, that's when you get the sense something is about to go south. And what um, does it? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Our, our man Juan goes into the into the bathroom to find uh, a, a hovering bloody corpse uh, being slammed from wall to wall in the shower. Um, and, uh, you know, it's it's pretty gross. Um, yeah. Clara being suspended by nothing in the air just brutally slamming back and forth, back and forth. The walls just caked with her blood as her bones just crunch against, you know, the, the tile back and forth, back and forth. And of course, her Juan is just, he's terrified. He can't stop it. He doesn't understand what's going on. And it just still, this body is being pancaked against the wall, against the wall, against the wall, which, you know, I think the first thing that I think of in this, aside from like the horror of watching this happen, is like, how do you explain something like that, right? Right. Which absolutely. As we cut to the next scene, 
as he's in jail, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he's in jail. He's clearly uh, doped to the gills. Um, and he's being uh, uh, interviewed by a panel of, of folks that we learn later will be uh, paranormal investigators. Um, they, they look like psychiatrists in this scene. Um, and for some reason, they decide to show him gory photos uh, that he assumes are of his wife. Um, it, it involves our, our friend, the American Rosentok, and his uh, terrible American accent. <laughs> um, uh, but they eventually tell him and convince him that, that they are um, actually, they believe him. He's, he's told the authorities his, his version of events. He's been arrested and imprisoned as a suspicion of murder. But they, they think he may be on to something um, in the supernatural explanation that he's given. And they ask him to give them permission. Oh, wait, in this case, they start, they start talking about Walter, right? Yeah, specifically, yes. they, they say, they show him these, these hor- horrific pictures. He's like, I, I don't want to see this. They're like, you haven't seen these before, though. This is different. Mm-hmm. I need you to tell us everything that happened. He's like, I, I told the prosecutor everything. He's like, well, what about... What about Walter, your neighbor? Tell us about him. Which and that yeah, that was one of those really smooth. Like normally, a callback or a flashback is super clunky in movies, but they smoothly transition to Walter's story, which happens before Juan and Clara's. Uh, I love how they did that uh, from both a storytelling perspective and like from a perspective of this movie is not wasting any time with the horror whatsoever. <laughs> right, exactly. Because Walter, we learn, he looks like shit. He, he's going through it. <laughs> um, he's having a hard time. We see Walter at his awful job, which, you know, you can see a bunch of styrofoam cups in front of him. He's got, you know, a seven-day beard. His eyes are just bags. He's he's clearly not having a nice time, and and we soon learn soon learn why. He's trying to get a hold of a doctor while he's at work, and this awful receptionist is not giving him the time of day. <laughs> yes, oh, it was, and it was so convincing. I'm like, oh, this sounds like every time I've tried to call, I don't know, the insurance company or whatever. Like, sorry. Can't help you. Yeah, this man is clearly in crisis, and he's just like, ah, <clears throat> no. <laughs> uh, yeah. we, we watch Walter transition from the fluorescent lights and coffee uh, of work to his home and his twin bed. Yes, his sad-ass twin bed. Man, that was, that was a nice detail. Like, he has... Just the crappiest bed. And here's the thing. It's not like Walter's place is tiny. Walter's place is pretty nice, actually. Yeah. He's got, like, a nice big wardrobe, but he sleeps, I suppose, intentionally in the saddest, barely one-man bed in the world. (laughs) (laughs) And he's not sleeping in it either, unfortunately. Poor Walter. Poor Walter. Well, I mean, he's first of all, he's setting himself, himself up for failure because... Every time we see him get in bed, he's getting in bed in his jeans and shirt. Yes. Oh. I suppose if you felt like you needed to run away from your house in the middle of the night, it would be it would be good not to have to struggle into your pants. But that's, that's that true. cannot be comfortable. No. Well, yeah, he's he's clearly not going to be comfortable. So this uh, th- these sections with Walter, 
Um, I was yelling at my TV repeatedly, you need to get out the goddamn house. <laughs> but I have a note here that says, get a hotel room, Walter. Yeah, I was thinking like an extended stay, like motel, surely is, is you know not that expensive compared to what this is surely doing to your psyche. <laughs> I will say that most I have I have rarely seen a monster under the bed type of scene that is as tense as these are. I mean, just fuck me, you know, when he the light goes out. He's he's sleeping with the lights on and the light goes and it's out. And he scrabbles with his little fingers, desperately not trying to move out of his bed to plug the thing back in, and then the bed starts to move slightly. And then the bed starts to move slightly more. (laughs) And then you see the thing under the bed. (laughs) The thing under the bed is truly horrific. And I I feel like this is something that is really hard to nail in a horror movie. You know, this is something that's built into, like, the the child brain. It should be a slam dunk, but it's so difficult to pull off for some reason. But actually having something hiding out under the bed that means you harm pretty well effectively done in this one yeah yeah i i don't know if you noticed but i mean it's it's essentially a hairless rubbery looking human corpse down there with no pupils i don't know if you noticed the the leg is the wrong direction yeah like the thing itself is too big to be fitting under the bed so it's just like dislocated everything to just slam itself in there yeah uh really fucked up (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> beautiful just just artistically beautiful yes um and walter is uh he's not very good at like i don't know doing things that you would rationally do like if my bed started moving in the middle of the night i would get out and of the goddamn house yeah i would leave the house like somehow he falls asleep he's tired and it's w- been it's been weeks of this he's real tired yeah. <laughs> Well, I guess he's getting some rest then. And then he wakes up and his room is entirely jammed with all of the furniture in his house. Yeah, uh, it, which s- says to me that whatever is causing this is both malevolent and a troll. Uh, <laughs> like I'm fucking with you. It's, it's definitely fucking with him on purpose. Uh, we think anyway. Um, mm-hmm. So, it, yeah. Walter, you know, he's he's been a taking uh, barbiturates like he's uh, clearly hasn't been sleeping very well. Like after the bed started moving, he just put the sheet over his head and like prayed. Oh, yeah. And it worked. <laughs> kind of. He woke up the next day. <laughs> yeah. But the hand, the, the shadow, they use some really effective sort of shadow play in this one where when he's under his sheet, there's the hand reaching out towards him <sighs> that you see. <laughs> Um, and then I think there was a, there was a scene where the thing was in the other room and you see it silhouetted against the wall yes. and he sees it Yeah, and he's like, Oh fuck. So, uh, you know, the, the morning he sees all of his shit, like just smashed into one room. He goes to work. He again gets on the phone to try to deal with this horrible gatekeeping receptionist. And, uh, she tells him, Hey, like the doctor's not going to see you. Uh, they want it will make a referral to somebody else. And he says, I have tried everyone else. They say that you're the only one. And I believe the receptionist says the doctor can't see you without proof. Right. Which I don't know. That's that's kind of a tall ask, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> 
prove to us that you're being haunted by a malevolent spirit. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, <clears throat> he, he he's, he's at the end of his rope here. I, well, I mean, not all the way, because I guess the end of the rope would be getting a hotel room. Uh, but maybe he, he doesn't have any money. I don't know. Well, you say that, <laughs> but nice he, house, though. He, he has a nice house and he immediately gets on Amazon and orders, uh, some night vision yeah. cameras. <laughs> yeah, that's true. No, yeah. Yeah. Get a hotel room for that. Yep, yeah, exactly. So yeah, Walter sets up his cameras to videotape himself sleeping. Uh, he wakes up again in the middle of the night due to the thing fucking with him, uh, and, and goes to review the tape. You know, he's got to check out the play-by-play. And he can see it. Like, he can see Mm -hmm. it walking past him. He can see it climbing into his wardrobe right next to his head in his bed. (laughs) So, he does what, you know, I guess is logical, although not necessarily logical. He goes and grabs his gun. Like, I don't know that you can shoot whatever this is, but... We like to have whatever comforts we can have in, in times of horror, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if, if the man is is so opposed to leaving his property, um, I guess the next best option is to try to shoot whatever this thing is that's in his closet. Uh, and to this, uh, this film's credit, it also made me uh, inquire like, as to uh, the legality of uh, firearms in Argentina. And apparently incredibly easy to have guns. So this is oh. this checks out. Okay, excellent. Yeah. Um, so he's got this, uh, his three fifty seven or whatever, and uh, he, you know, aims it at the at the wardrobe, whips it open, and of course there's nothing in there. You can't see anything, dummy. Nobody's there. Nobody's there. What's what do you see next? So our man Walter turns his back to the wardrobe, which is you know always a bad idea. Never do that. Put puts his gun on the ground, sits down with his camera. He starts to starts to uh, rewind the tape. He sees whatever this corpse is uh, standing over his bed while he is sleeping. And from our perspective, looking at Walter's face of horror, looking at his videotape, we also see the wardrobe door open again. <laughs> so whatever climbed in there and disappeared is now slowly climbing back out. Our man Walter hears the creak. And there's a beautiful shot of the cylinder of the gun, this shiny, bright sort of uh, uh, convex surface. And you see the thing in the gun cylinder from Walter's perspective. So you can see the thing reaching out to him. And as soon as he tries to grab the gun, you get the, uh, the scream of horror and the smash cut. I believe this is where Walter exits the movie. <laughs> yep, that was, that's, well, and you know what? Somebody... Uh, the smash cut is to the outside of Walter's house where there's a leaking um, uh, faucet. That's true. And that is yeah, true. and and a little and a ball comes bouncing into the yard, and a young boy comes running after the ball and takes a drink from the faucet. And somebody from within Walter's house, if it's Walter or not, somebody with some some uh, cognitive faculties, yells at the kid to get out of here. Don't drink that water. Get out of my yard. Yeah, it's mean old neighbor Walter yelling at the kids, you know, get get the ball off the lawn. Don't drink out of my faucet. Get the hell out of here. Well, our, our young faucet drinker um, slowly backs out of the yard, sort of frightened of, of getting yelled at by the mean neighbor. Um, not a very bright child. Doesn't really uh, no. pay attention to his surroundings as he backs out of the yard. 
into the road. Because he's immediately where... smashed by a bus. <laughs> That's when I knew this movie was not going to fuck around. This kid just gets creamed by a bus. Like, thinking about like the, the history of horror... Very few films are willing to go all the way with this. Like thinking of like a pet cemetery, you know? Yep. Uh, this came absolutely left field, whereas pet cemetery, you were telegraphing it for a while, like waiting for it to happen. You do not right. see the bus come. Well, he doesn't see the bus coming either. No. Uh, and this is, this is really where we set the film up for terror, uh, beginning with this, this boy getting creamed by a bus. We, I think at this point we kind of move forward from where we initially did the um, where we initially met uh, Juan at the beginning after he's been imprisoned and we we rewind back to see the origin of Walter. We should be, I guess, in a contemporary moment here, I think. Right. Yeah, because um, the the immediate aftermath is Alicia, the, the mother of the son, mm-hmm. and uh, we see Juan and um, and Clara comforting her after the funeral. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I think Juan is one of the first people on the scene uh, after the kid gets hammered. Yeah. And, uh, That's right. Yeah. And, and we see some, we see some, you know, some nasty stuff um, in the aftermath. Um, but we are sort of right back to, to Juan and Clara's sort of timeline in terms of um, what happens with the, the rest of the movie. So at this point, we we meet my favorite character in the film, Yano, um, or Jano. Yeah. He's, he uh, gets a phone call in the middle of the night, this uh, middle-aged man, uh, very, uh, very stern-looking middle-aged man who, who answers and says, you know, I'll be there in an hour. Don't, uh, don't tell anyone I'm coming. I'll, I'll be right there. Uh going down the roads in the middle of the night to meet up at Alicia's house. What's what, why is he there? Well, I, my favorite character in the movie is sort of this, um, uh, incompetent sort of bumbling, but likable, uh, police sergeant Funes. Funes. Uh, Funes is, is at Alicia's house. Um, um, I think we saw a scene before Hano gets called where someone rings Alicia's doorbell and you see and you and she peers out the door and you see um, muddy footprints walking up to the uh, uh, walking up to the front door and you see a uh, small shadow um, in the light of the um, the outside lights of her house this is in the middle of the night um, and so Funes has been called by two officers who found Alicia in a bit of a state of catatonia with the door wide open and sitting in Alicia's um, dining room. Funes leads Hano in and they see a very decayed child's corpse with a incongruently cheery breakfast scene, uh, <laughs> cereal and milk. <laughs> This child is sitting upright and clearly rotting. Uh, <laughs> I mean, disgusting. Um, Alicia, she's mumbling to herself. She mentions, you know, I, I made him his, his favorite cereal. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, F- Funes is, you know, as you mentioned, uh, kind of a bumbling cop. He is, 
for for better words here, the stand-in for ourselves, I think, in this film. Yeah, I think you're right, yeah. Because he is where others are do not have what they should have, which is to say tremendous amounts of fear. Uh, Funes has it in spades. <laughs> yep. Hano's like, oh, this is very interesting. Well, uh, F- whereas Funes is like, I'm not even going in this fucking room. Yeah. Funes asks Hano, he says, they say that, you know, you don't get scared. <laughs> He's like, uh-huh. well, like, well, I don't know. I guess I don't. <laughs> Pretty much. He, uh, Hano you know, does not hesitate. He walks over to the corpse of the boy. You know, he pulls uh, the spoon out of his cereal and holds it under the boy's nose to see if it fogs up, to see if there's any life left in what is clearly just this dead and rotting boy. Um, and from this point, uh, he tells Funes, you know, what what the plan is going to be. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I really like this because Hano understands and he explains it to Funes that what has happened here is against this world. This should not have happened and no one will ever believe us. So he does the most logical thing. He's going to cover it up. Uh, yeah. I, I think this is probably the most beautifully pragmatic response I've seen in a horror movie. It's like, here's, here's a, here's a dead boy who has crawled out of the grave. Cause he looks at the fingers are all scraped up and he can clearly see that this child has, clawed at the dirt for several days as he says um and um and he turns off the lights and they turn away from the corpse and the milk spills immediately so the corpse has obviously been moving which they they do without having to show it to you which is i think a budgetary trick you know this isn't a a high budget film but uh um you know it it does what it it, it's scary it's kind of fucked up and uh, Hano's response, convincing Funes to uh, to to keep this on the down is like we're gonna we're gonna put him back in the ground, we're gonna cover him with cement. You don't want him crawling back out again, do you? <laughs> <laughs> like this is the end. And he, he says to, to Funes, like, do you know this woman, Alicia? He's like, yeah, it's it's basic. I was in a long relationship with her, basically. He's like, well, if you know her and you care about her, and you don't want her locked up, we're going to do this. Uh, we're going to give Alicia some liquid Valium for one thing, put her to sleep, <laughs> put this kid back in the ground and then never talk about it ever again. Exactly. And so rarely you get somebody who is that clear of mind when things are obviously so fucked up. <laughs> uh, so that, that's, that's why I appreciate Yano so much. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think it, it, it serves him well in this Part of the movie, but it does not serve him well later, as we'll we'll get to. That's true. Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, things get a little uh, harried around here. Yano goes outside where he meets uh, Doctor Albrecht, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, he it randomly happens upon Doctor Albrecht, who turns out to be the doctor that uh, Walter was so frantically trying to get a hold of. Yeah. I think this is the one part of the film where the timeline sort of breaks down because Walter, basically he um, he must have mailed the videos after our final scene with him because the first he sets up the video cameras the first night and that's the night that he gets grabbed. That's right. And that's right. somehow Albrecht has the, has the photos in her possession. So she sees 
the photos of the rubbery seven foot tall corpse standing over Walter's bed and is convinced enough to come down and start sniffing around his house um, right after Hanno and Funes discover um, the, the boy's corpse in uh, the cereal room. Um, so just, you know, a, a little bit of a, a little bit of a fudging of the timeline, but that's okay. Doesn't matter. I suppose it is Dr. terribly Al- convenient that all of this, um, you know, paran- paranormal activity <laughs> or whatever it is, is happening all in the same three houses. Right. <laughs> but you know, we we'll we'll figure that all out, I guess. Uh, so uh, Albrecht and Yano, you know, recognize something in each other, and that they they both clearly believe in this kind of thing, uh, and they decide to basically work together. Mm-hmm. Um, this is, of course, difficult for uh, Commissioner Funes to expect uh, to accept, uh, who himself does not really appreciate the idea of uh, corpses reanimating. <laughs> it's it's not his thing at all. He's he's clearly very disturbed by all of this. Um, yes. At this point, I believe what they did was they they wrapped the the boy up in a in a rug after uh, Yano and Dr. Albrecht look uh, look him over once. Yes. And they put him in the freezer outside. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe one of the most fucked up bits and pieces of this <laughs> of this well, one of the most fucked up scenes is uh, after they come back out um, by the freezer. There is a, a thump from within the freezer, and I think the potted plant might fall off the top. I believe you're right, yes. And uh, and Funes turns off the freezer, and you hear the sound of a child wailing inside. Extremely <laughs> fucked. <laughs> um, so, so fucked up. Well, it, add, adding to the, the extremity here, uh, one of the boy's friends... Is oh, yeah. also manages to videotape uh, Funes dragging this thing into the freezer. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I forgot. They just show you like he's just he's just standing on the fence, taking a video of you pulling a decayed corpse out of uh, the, the decayed corpse of his friend out of yeah. the house. Yeah, and then into the freezer, putting it in a freezer, and then again like putting things on top of it to keep it closed. <laughs> Uh, all of this is happening while Oasia has passed out because they have given her the, you know, liquid Valium. They want to, you know, do this without further traumatizing her. Um, so they, at this point, they do go and speak with Juan, uh, the gentleman at the very beginning of the film that sees his wife get smashed against the wall repeatedly. And they tell him, like, hey, uh, you know, we spoke with you before we think that we can prove that you're innocent. We just need your cooperation. We need your uh, permission to basically poke around your house for a bit. And he's like, yeah, that's fine. I don't, I, I don't care. Uh, which, which sets us up for the rest of the film here. Uh, is, is that right? I think that's right. Yeah, that's right. Um, so they basically get his sign off so that they uh, do the, uh, we're going to spend a night in the haunted house uh, routine. It's, um, so it, It's even better because it's actually three haunted houses. Three haunted houses. They're, <laughs> they're splitting up so they can all right. do it separately. <laughs> yep. We've got, uh, we've got Yano, uh, uh-huh. who's going to go into Alicia's house. Mm-hmm. We've got uh, Dr. Albrecht, who goes into... Walter's uh, house. Juan, uh, Wait. No, she goes into Juan's house. I oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yes, you're right. And then 
And then Rosentok and Funes go into uh, to Walter's house. Yeah, uh, and they've all, you know they've all got their cell phones, so they can talk to each other. It's fine. Yep, exactly. Um, you know we're we're uh, we're doing some Ghost Hunters International shit here, uh, and that you know we've got all kinds of arcane instruments getting set up and lights, looking at you know paranormal fingerprints or whatever the hell that these people like to look at. Um, Right. It, yeah. It 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 just goes so poorly for everyone, <laughs> <laughs> and they don't seem to care. Like they're they're super sanguine about the whole thing. I, I mean, that, Funes is our our audience stand-in, and he's like, so uh, you know, I've got a I've got a heart condition, and uh, I don't I don't really like all of this stuff, and uh, I'm a little bit worried. But he can't leave. Like he he, he's, he feels compelled to see it through. And it's it's so funny. He's paired with Rosentalk, the uh, American, who is positively sinister in this. By the way, <laughs> you, you know he looks to me like a, a poor man Sam Neil too. I kept like looking at his face and being like, man, that looks a lot like Sam Neil for some reason. He's like skinnier, but somehow and, there's something there. You know, Rosentalk is trying to like tell him like, oh, okay, Funes is absolutely terrified, as you should be. He understands mm-hmm. what he's getting into right here. And yep. Ro- Rosentalk is like, you know, you got to understand, like, uh, fear, you know, it's contagious. So, you know, the more scared you get, the more scared everybody's going to get. So try to ch- try to chill out. Try to calm down, man. <laughs> and, uh, you know, as, like, things are manifesting physically in this house, moving around, uh, we see a, a whole bunch of silverware stand on end and hang out at the bottom of the of a cabinet, like uh, against gravity, which <sighs> <laughs> it's a very good foreshadowing. Uh, you know, when when uh, when somebody in a horror movie is chopping vegetables with a big cleaver and holding their fingers near to the, the knife, you know what's about to happen. But like, <sighs> come on, man, you're seeing this. <laughs> God damn it. It's <laughs> So Rosentalk is just sort of casually brushing his hand across the levitating silverware with like just this goofy grin like, hey, check check it out. out. (laughs) (laughs) And what happens? What do you you think is going to happen? Of course, you're just going to get stabbed right through the fucking hand. God damn it. Yep, the the one piece of of silverware that didn't levitate suddenly levitates right through Rosentalk's hand. Uh, pinning him against the bottom of the cabinet, um, he and he I, I love. To go. And this and this is such a, a great little bit of a, his character in that he's an American. He doesn't know Spanish that well, so he's like, yeah. again, not that perturbed, but he's trying to get the word for sucking out. <laughs> it's it's chu, chu, chupando. <laughs> <laughs> so something in the cabinet is sucking the blood out of his hand. You can hear this like horrible. <laughs> slurping sound coming from the cabinet so uh you know a terrified funas manages to pry uh pry rosentalk's hand out of here and you know again rosentalk is not that disturbed by this but he does give a direct command to funas he's like oh you uh you need to clean up all that blood right now because we can't okay let me tell you we can't have that blood out here Which I, I don't know Rosentalk's prior familiarity with whatever this is, but he seems to know that the blood is a bad thing. Yeah, um, just just very strange. Uh, you know, he's binding up his hand. He's like, yeah, go clean up my blood. Like if I'd gotten stabbed through the hand, I don't know, man, I'd be 
I'd be out the door probably. I'd be sure. like, okay, I'm gonna go get this stitched up and make sure I get a tetanus shot or whatever yeah. it is. But yeah, I'm I'm leaving. I'm not coming back. Um. Okay. So you know, at this point, while Funes is cleaning up the blood, uh, he gets a call from Yano, who's across the street, and uh, Yano's like, "Hey, man, are you hanging out in the window?" <laughs> yes. This is the part that, I, and, and I love this as a sort of a visual effect that um, that they they use to you know to explain why things appear fucked up in this movie, and mm-hmm. it, it actually is really kind of nice. So Hano is is standing in front of the window, and he's like, "Are you out in the main room?" And Funes is like, "No, we're in the fucking kitchen, man." So Hano sees somebody standing in the front window of Walter's house where Funes and Rosenthal are. And he's like, but it's strange because he looks out one window and there's nobody there. And then he slides over to the other window and the thing is standing there. And it's kind of it is that that effect. Like if you had two pieces of glass that are at a you know a slight angle or something like that, you'll get different refractions. And sometimes you'll see, you might see through one window something that's sort of blurred out of the other window. So they have this like really clever, you know, angle of, of, uh, of viewing effect that they play with in the film and the best jump scare in the entire film. in, in my opinion, because as Hano goes, okay, so I see him in this window. I mean, goes back to the other window. He's not in there. And then he comes back to the first window and the thing is like right outside. Just, Two inches away from his face. Boom. Just, yeah. Uh, I actually like yelped like out loud when that happened. I did not see it coming at all. <laughs> uh, I, yeah. I, I, you know, I knew it was coming and I still jumped. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's fucked up. So, um, I mean, Funes, again, he's, he's meant to be the fool here, I guess, but he understands like what's going on. He knows that Yano has gotten got. Uh, I believe at this point he goes over to Dr. Albrecht's house, which uh, he she went over to Walter's, the, I think as they describe it, the nest of all of this. Yeah, how did that work? It's a little bit confusing to me. So, because Rosenthal also found the guy in the house. Somewhere yeah. around this time, Rosenthal shouts to Funes to come over here. Um, and he's, <laughs> he's going... Punto de vista in his horrible American accent. <laughs> point of view. He's like, look under the bed. You see anything? No, I don't see anything. He drops the, the thing and he says, okay, come around to this angle. And the thing is there. Yeah. Uh, the, the corpse is there. The feet and the head are at the same side of the bed. So it's like he's going in two directions. He's all fucked up. And he jumps out at Funes and scares the living shit out of him. Uh, that's right. And I, I, th- I think it... Because he doesn't, he doesn't go invest. He goes and investigates uh, Hano as well. Yeah, because then Funes runs out of that house. Yeah, and he wants to go see what happened to Hano. Uh, Hano, uh, you you can hear some beating uh, coming from the very nice like uh, glassware cabinet in uh, Alicia's house. And again, it's the punto de vista. <laughs> um, he ends up like ripping apart an edge of this thing and finding again what once was Hano but now is we don't really know he's like some sort of yeah he's in some sort of weird sort of uh cave or something so like you know it would be a a nice china cabinet or something like that 
but as he rips open the corner, he sees into this like really dark area where Hano's head is, and Hano screams that there's glass splinters in his eyes. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> fucked, super fucked. So fucked up. Um, the moment uh, I think the, the the moment for this movie that I absolutely got me more than anything else comes from. Um, Funes running over to Walter's house to speak with Dr. Albrecht. Yes. Albrecht is investigating a crack in the wall in Walter's house. And so calmly uh, looking inside and seeing just at these specific angles, you know, horrors that are beyond the imagination. And try- I think she actually sees Walter in there somewhere. There's yeah. like a little head poking out of this this darkened crevice, uh, and the eyes are shining like a cat's would or something like that. And yeah, and, <laughs> and she's it, just like mm. as calm as as can be. She's attempting to explain her theory to Funes, and that whatever this is is an alternate dimension intersecting with our own only seen from certain angles and right. it's it can coexist in our dimension as a bacterium or perhaps in water she's not really sure but you know uh, the blood is definitely some kind of medium there and that they're in what is currently the nest and funas again is terrified of this because you're describing unspeakable horrors which we cannot begin to contemplate he asks her what do we do to stop it (laughs) yeah and i think her answer was we can't right i mean we there's nothing we can do at which point again some unspeakable (laughs) evil rips through the crack in the wall and smashes her face (laughs) just like yeah it grabs her head and snaps her neck as funas is like talking to her (laughs) like in in in, for me like um and I, I think that's maybe just maybe because you mentioned uh, this Sam Neill, but I, I'm thinking like Event Horizon, essentially. Like, yep. What What are you gonna do? <laughs> you mm-hmm. and so the the completely uh, stoic academic approach to just unrelenting disaster is I, I find it terrifying. I think that's so effectively done there. <laughs> they are. Um... They are very, yeah, very accurate to what uh, a researcher, I think, would be like. Is like, oh, I'm going to study this academically. There's nothing I can do about it. Yeah. Um, but it's also a little bit, like, uh, it's a little bit deranged in that they're, like, staring into this alternative dimension that is clearly hostile. Sure. And just sort of poking around at it. Um, and then each one of them meets a demise, like, immediately. Um, so, <laughs> so Hano has been shoved into the alternate dimension and had his eyes like shoved completely filled with glass or something. And, uh, and Albrecht just has her neck casually snapped. Yeah. Uh, and Funes, uh, has a heart attack. (laughs) That was just brutal. Oh man. He did a, he did such a great job. I'm sitting there like, because as he's writhing on the floor, massaging his arm and his chest and breathing heavily and and time seems to be slowing down like it would if you were uh, you know, in some sort of uh, florid heart failure event. The thing that has snapped Albrecht's neck is casually clawing its way out of the wall and crawling slowly towards Funes, who is on the floor 
uh, you know, just just gasping for air. <laughs> I don't know that there's any research on this specifically, but I feel like in the events of an acute myocardial infarction, uh, exposing the patient to like extreme terror is probably not going to help your outcomes. <laughs> no, certainly not. <laughs> certainly not. Um, he eventually is able to get the gasp enough breath in, and he sees Alicia, who is covered in dirt. Alicia yeah. looks like shit. Uh, <laughs> she's in the car, right? He he manages to well, like he's, find uh, his way outside. He's she's inside. She comes inside. Oh, that's right. Yeah. She turns on the light. She sees him lying there on the ground, clutching his chest. He says to her, "Please, you have to drive me to a hospital. I'm having a heart attack." That's right. Alicia is covered in dirt, and she's like, I know what you did. Like, I saw a video. You put my son in a freezer. You buried him under concrete. How could you fucking do this to me? Like, you're making people think that I'm crazy. And he's like, please, we can talk about this. I just need to get to a hospital. He stumbles out with her to the car, and what's in the back seat, of course? (laughs) He's about to climb in the car and she's about uh, and drive off to who knows where. But then he sees the uh, the boy uh, twice buried, twice exhumed, <laughs> hanging out in the back seat. Looks at him, and he staggers away in horror. Gets in his own car. <laughs> gets in his own car, and my personal favorite scene. As he is getting ready to peel rubber and get out of there, <laughs> our our esteemed Doctor Albrecht has <laughs> left the house and comes sprinting towards the car with her head hanging at the end of her shattered neck, <laughs> screaming at him, smashing against the side of the car. Oh, so good, man! That was just like so nasty. And that's the thing too is. When I saw it, I, didn't, I haven't actually watched Smile, mm-hmm. the movie that came out, I think, last year. Um, but in the trailer for Smile, there is a scene where... where like, the face just, some, like, drops yeah, upside down, yeah. Drops upside down on a snapped neck. And I'm like, that is completely ripped from this movie. It was just... It was, like, almost shot for shot. Um, but she screams to Funes that he can't leave because they're being tortured and he can still save them. <laughs> and, and that's such like a, that's such like a good, maybe like homage to Hellraiser, like help me yeah. I'm in hell or whatever, but like, you can't do mm-hmm. anything. What the fuck am I going to do for you? It's just, exactly. it's just further taunting. Again, you can, you don't know what this is, but you know, it's malevolent. You know, it hates you. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, yes, so that's that was probably my favorite my favorite scare in the whole movie. I was like, oh shit! Um, you know, he he speeds off, he stops, he has a cigarette. Which again, you're in the middle of having a heart. Don't smoke. Heart attack. Don't smoke it's a smoke. cigarette. <laughs> my and my I'm saying I'm saying this out loud. And my wife is like, if you thought that you had like three minutes left to live, you're smoking a cigarette, aren't you? I'm like, of course, of course, I'm smoking a yeah. cigarette, but. <laughs> <laughs> this guy doesn't know he's going to make it another five minutes, let alone another five years. So, you know, he's he's smoking a cig. He stares at the cig and he gets maybe the first smart idea in this entire thing. Uh, heads back to the houses, pops open the trunk and pulls out his jerry cans of gasoline. <laughs> exactly. He starts pouring them all over the place. Uh, he's in Alicia's house, I think, is, mm-hmm. is where he's, he's uh, he decides to start the fire. 
Um, and as he barrels in the door, there is a figure off behind him, and I couldn't quite figure out who it was at first. Same. Uh, yeah, um, but you know, he's he's pouring um, gasoline all over the house, and then he comes back down the hallway, and he sees that the uh, the little boy's door is shut, um, and there's mud all around the handle, mm-hmm. uh, and and for some reason, uh, he decides he's going to crack open the door. And take a peek inside. Always a good idea. And uh, and we get our our last little jump scare where our our young friend uh, is there suddenly staring at him, covered in dirt, rotting to pieces. And he slams shut the door and continues to pour gasoline everywhere. And then we see who that figure was. It's Alicia hanging from the ceiling. Um, I don't know if if she hung herself or somebody else hung her, but she is clearly very dead. Regardless, <clears throat> not a great – like, do you want to stick around and figure out, did somebody kill her? Did she kill herself? No. He does nope. the sensible thing here. He continues pouring gasoline everywhere. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, he, he burns these motherfuckers down and gets the hell out. So As he was trying to light the match, it keeps going out. Oh that was another just sort of brilliant little scene. He's stand, He's sitting on the ground lighting matches. To, to ignite the flames and they keep going out and the camera pans and as he lights the last match it pans around to see Hano sitting right next to him eyes full of glass blowing the matches out <laughs> <laughs> um, I had completely forgotten about that yeah such uh, a good little bit like again these they are trolls in addition to yeah. being malevolent they're, they're trolls yeah. <laughs> so uh, he pulls out his, uh, his gun and uh, fires at Again, whatever what was maybe Hano at one point. And, uh, you know, if a match won't do it, a bullet uh, will, so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, the uh, explosion yep. there causes uh, all the houses to erupt in flames. Uh, and presumably he's off to Cabo. I'm not entirely sure. We don't see him ever again. Um, the The last scene of the movie is is the police coming back to talk to Juan about what the hell happened. Um, and they say that uh, there were the homes had all burned to the ground, and uh, and Funes was suspected, but nobody knew where he was. Mm-hmm. And Juan's answer is, uh, I don't know. I mean, I signed the agreement, and they said they were going to go look into it, and that's basically all I know. Yeah, the I mean, the the folks talking with Juan, they seem fairly excited though. They're like, oh, we're pretty sure that we can pin the murder of your wife on Funes. So, you yes. know, maybe, maybe you won't have to be there that much longer. And again, this is no balm to Juan's soul whatsoever. He still looks just as miserable as ever as, you know, they're, they're trying to explain like, hey, we can probably get you out of here. He's looking off in the distance beyond them. He sees, God. he sees something. It. Yeah. <laughs> something in the corner where there's nothing there. He says, he says something like. He came in with you, right? And they're like, who came in with us? The man in the corner. He looks like he looks like Rosentalk. Yeah. He points to the photo of Rosentalk. He says, but his face is all burned. And they all turn around slowly. And then the very last beautiful scene, the chair that they're all looking at suddenly slams into the camera. And that's the end of the movie. And again... I what I, I like about that so much, not necessarily like that scene itself uh, or the way that the chair was kind of just 
CGI thrown across the room. But I like yeah the story. <laughs> I like the storytelling piece. What there is where it's like whatever horrible unexplained thing was going on was not confined to these houses. It is loose and it will continue to basically devour your soul. <laughs> right. Exactly. And they don't tell you. Like, there is no rhyme or reason. It's no. like, okay, is it following Juan because he drank the water from the house and so he's somehow involved in this? Is it just loose in the world and, and you know, free to do what it wants? Who knows? And I guess ultimately these questions, they don't, they don't matter so much. It's just – it it's again you need to be scared that's it <laughs> and mm-hmm. I, I think ending these films on like a downer note like this is such an important thing too like i i i don't want uh, everything to be resolved happily at the end of a movie that i've just been scared witless by for 90 minutes <laughs> exactly exactly yeah i you know um in some you know in some films i think it works like um, I was just watching The Vigil, um, which is a uh, it's a movie that is a little bit like this in that it's well, it's it's based around um, Jewish religious practices and um, and sort of the the orthodox practice of somebody sitting up with a corpse um, oh, yeah. the night that that corpse has died, and the the end of the movie ends with a sort of the 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 protagonist walking free um it it really is heavily weighted on uh, his grief about something in his past and and overcoming that grief and so i think that that one ended on a positive note um effectively but you know things like when it wraps it up with a bow it like it it eliminates the horror right you know it, it it renders it toothless because now it's over and i think that the ending of this movie um and the ending of like it follows did such a nice job because it follows ends with the protagonists walking down the sidewalk and then you see something behind them. Somebody, there's a person that walking after them and you have no idea whether or not that's the entity or <laughs> just somebody walking on a sidewalk. And I think that really, you know, it, it leaves you unsettled and that's kind of, you know, I mean, that's the function of these movies. They're not supposed to be happy endings. I think one of my favorite endings to uh, a movie ever is Drag Me to Hell. <laughs> <laughs> that movie is mean-spirited. It's so, so mean-spirited. <laughs> well, she, she, she kind of deserves it. She did. She did. Yeah. But like just at the very end, you think, oh, well, I, I guess that's okay. No, just kidding. Fuck you. Okay. You're actually getting dragged to hell. <laughs> Yes, it, it paid off the premise. If she hadn't been, yeah, it no, would have been false, false advertising. advertising. <laughs> yep. um, so, I don't know. I, I really am and stoked that you introduced me to this one because I'm going to be sharing this with, with like-minded folks, uh, not just on the show, but IRL. I, I want I want folks to experience this one because it really is, I think this is something special here. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I love it. I think it's 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 one of the rare films where there's no weak parts. It doesn't fall down on a plot point. It doesn't um, you know it doesn't pull any punches and it doesn't slow down in the last act. Too many movies just just they they kind of let you down in the final um, climaxes, and this one just keeps going. Uh, so with that being said, I would like to share a couple of really stupid reviews that I uh, read uh, online. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, let's see. This is, uh, from nightmare on film street. Uh, 
with spooks worthy of the James Wanaverse. Yeah, what the fuck? You just turned Ugh. me off immediately. Yeah, <laughs> give me a fucking break. We don't have to read the rest of that. It's just like, come on, man. <laughs> Do better. Love yourself. Yeah, yeah. Watch something good. Uh, let's see. Uh, let's see. Writer-director Demian Rugna isn't that concerned about little matters like lucidity or pacing, preferring to lean into those components that are grotesque, unfathomable, and morbidly amusing. This is in a negative review, by the way. <laughs> uh, yeah, and those are good things. Well, yeah. I mean, pacing, it is well-paced. It doesn't slow down. I mean, part of the problem with horror is it's hard to do a slow burn horror sure. well because they get boring. Absolutely. Um <laughs> Let's see, here we have real film reviews. Uh, David Nasir says, Just another tedious ghost space horror movie that dwells far too long on the less than engrossing exploits of its human characters. And I could not agree any more with that, because we're not at all focused on the inner lives of these people whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure he watched the same movie I watched. Oh. I mean, yeah. Hmm? Um. This is Very weird. looking solely at uh, Rotten Tomatoes. If you want to delve into um, Letterboxd, uh, you'll actually get mad. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I have no doubts of that. Uh, but yeah, just uh, just wanted to share that there are folks out there, you know, that disagreed with us. Uh, again, more than a few people comparing this to the Blumhouse universe as well. Which what I feel, fuck? I feel very wrong about that. That's not right. No, that's. Uh, I mean, you know, I, like, what was that last one that Juan did? It's um, *Malignant*. You know, *Malignant* was fun mm -hmm. and entertaining, but I would not, I would not say it was horrifying. It was, it was like goofy action. Sure. And this is like legitimately has a. a, a an atmosphere of horror that that you know I don't think the conjuring oh god could no. even approach I don't think Blumhouse could approach like you know those are I don't know they're 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 nowhere near this in terms of atmosphere in terms of uh, just how grotesque and ominous and unsettling it is so yeah people people are certainly entitled to be wrong but I would hope that they would respect themselves enough to actually watch some good film uh you'd hope but maybe not uh so yeah i i think that um this uh, was a necessary addition to this year's uh you know collection of horror movies i'm really glad that we could talk about something that is actually scary uh, yes. instead of instead of goofy <laughs> my pleasure uh so We've got we've got the movie out of the way that you know this is this is good and all, but you got a record coming out. We got to talk about this a bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Inver uh, comes out on October twenty seventh. Um, you can you can stream it uh, at least two singles as of the uh, well, I guess it'll be three as of the posting of this episode mm -hmm. um, on Bandcamp uh, adzes.bandcamp.com. Um, it's uh, you know it's my my attempt to um to take sort of the 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 sludgier and post metal influences of the stuff that I'd been working on and add in a little bit more of um the music of my childhood which is really that sort of 90s alt rock shoegaze grunge yeah. stuff so you know um you know, trying to trying to pull influences from like 
um, Soundgarden or um, Hum or Cloakroom for a more, you know, uh, modern band uh, reference, but add in that that sort of really slow and and heavy approach to the stuff that I've been doing. So, uh, again, we're going to play new music on this show from that record here, and I believe that we're going to do the full album premiere. I can't remember the actual date, but we'll do it <laughs> on the Toil of Hell. <laughs> Uh, well, let me ask you this. Is there anything else you want our audience to know before we call it on this episode? Um, no, I think, I think, you know, uh, check out the record. I would love people to hear it and I'm really excited about it. I think it's kind of that, um, yeah, it's the labor of love for me, um, to do this type of music and anybody that listens to it, I really appreciate, you know, any ears on it. And, uh, yeah, uh, and I really appreciate you having me on. I, this was a fun movie to talk about, um, fun movie to watch, and uh, and it's always fun to have the the sort of horror uh, podcast roll around every year with Toilet of Hell. Always glad to have you on. Uh, everybody out there, let's enjoy some new music. This is Eroding Tides from Adzes, from the new record, Inver, coming out October 27th. All pre-order information below. Enjoy the music, folks.
You're listening to 66.6 FM, Radio TOVH, The Flush.